Amen. All right. We are so glad that you're here. Um, we have a children's church now. So for all the kids, um, I guess fifth grade and under, if you're interested for children's church, Miss Jen is in the back, and she will lead you down to the children's church. And then parents after church this morning, uh, they're just in the back hallway back over here. There's a, a room back there. You can just go herd them up afterwards. You'll probably be able to hear them hollering, all that good stuff. But um, we're excited about that. There's a few other, just there two more announcements I wanted to just make before we get into um, the message this morning that ran out of space in the bulletin. May 13th at 7 p.m., there is a parents' meeting for those parents of teenagers, for the youth. So for those that are in 6th through 12th, if you have a child, um, they're going to be having a parents' meeting over at AK's house. Miss um, AK, why don't you wave? She's right there in the middle. So if you have any questions, need directions, whatever else. Uh, but that's May 13th, and we're going to kind of go over like a summer schedule and some things that are coming up. So, so anyways, May 13th, 7 p.m. at AK's house, a parents' meeting. And then also June 1st, um, which is a Sunday, June 1st, we are going to do a, um, we're going to have a baptism and a picnic at McClay Gardens. So uh, June 1st from 4 till 7. Um, so if, if you are interested, if you've never been baptized before and that's a decision you'd like to make and you'd like to talk to me about it um, today, after the service, sometime in the next week or two or whenever, just um, uh, if that's something you'd like to do, we have a couple of people that um, already have expressed a desire to be baptized. So I'm excited because one of them is my daughter. So that's always, I had a privilege of helping baptize one of my children. So this will be extra special, at least for, for this dad. But, but um, anyways, June 1st, uh, baptism and picnic on the Clay Gardens. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Um, I'm sure Courtney will be getting with you guys more as far as the food stuff. I work on the baptism. She does the other important stuff, the food, which draws more people. But uh, anyways, so if, if hopefully mark your calendars, though, it'll be a great time. Just hang out. We're going to have a good time, um, all that kind of good stuff. All right, so if you have your Bibles, and hopefully you do, Open up to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, we're going to look at um, verses 31 through 47. This morning we have some visitors, we have several faces that are, are new for the first time, and um, I was kind of by the tech table and I, visitors came in and I introduced myself to them and, and they said that they had listened to me online and I was like, wow, you decided to come to church. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty impressive, because uh, I've listened to a few minutes of a sermon once, and I dozed off to sleep, so maybe they're in need of a nap, I don't know, um, last week we had um, the Harringtons, oh, you're back, is the baby here, oh, he's sick, so she told me that um, she was great because the baby slept the whole time, and so I said, just go to our website, and you can listen to, and whenever you need a nap, there's plenty of sermons on it now, so, um, so anyways, John chapter 8, we're going to look in verses uh, 31 through 47, um, John chapter 8 is a, a very interesting chapter, a um, very uh, intense chapter of Scripture. Uh, you see Jesus, the, if you guys recall back a few weeks ago, it starts off with Jesus um, speaking just outside the temple, and then um, these religious leaders, they, they catch this woman in the midst of adultery. And if you recall, this was a setup. They were trying to trap Jesus, and so they, they bring her there, and they have this confrontation with Jesus. So it goes, it goes through that confrontation. Last week, we talked about Jesus declaring himself as um, the light of the world. And so John chapter 8, there's a lot of strong statements made by Jesus, and Jesus does not back down. And, and as we continue through this journey of, of the gospel of John, you will see that Jesus intensifies. 
And so this morning we're going to look at, at, at something, uh, another passage in which Jesus makes some very strong claims and um, really kind of draws a line in the sand and tells the people they have to decide what side they're on, what team they're going to play for. And so this morning we're going to look at a few verses and then we're going to um, go from there. All right? So John chapter 8, let's just start in, John, uh, in verse 31. It says, And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Um, I, I would encourage you, if you have a, a pen and maybe you're not using an electric device, but I would, un, I would encourage you guys to underline the word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple or disciples. Abide in my word. Uh, we live such busy lives today, don't we? Um, our jobs, our families, those of us who have children, as they get older, um, the obligations just increase. We go from ball field to ball field, to practice to practice, to game to whatever, whatever they might be involved in. But, but life just seems to get busier and busier, doesn't it? Um, my dad has, in the last year and a half, two years, retired. And I feel like my dad is busier now as a retired person than he was when he worked. And so, so those of you who are at that retirement age could probably vouch that even when you hit that retirement spot, it doesn't necessarily slow down. You just find other things to involve your time. And so we live very busy lives, very fast-paced lives. Um, I think even with technology today, we think that technology is supposed to help us. Um, some of us who are a little bit older can remember those days before cell phones, right? Um, when you would just maybe get a, you'd have to go back to your office and get a phone call there or there'd be a message there. But, but today we have cell phones, and it's not even just a cell phone. They're smartphones, which means we have, people have access to us 24-7, right? Phone calls, text messages, emails that pop up on your phone. And it just makes, instead of making life simpler, it just makes it that much more difficult. In the craziness of life and, and in the hustle and bustle of everything going on, one of the things that at least I find in my own life, one of the things that can be taken away is the time that I spend in God's Word. The time that I like, beyond just looking at a verse on my phone that might pop up, a verse of the day or whatever, but, but literally sitting down and reading and meditating over God's Word, praying over it, letting it soak into my heart and my life, looking for something that will, will alter my thought process, that will change the way I do things. And Jesus makes this statement to, to those who are believing. These, these are probably the new converts that we read about in the, the previous section. And he says, listen, if, if you abide in my word, that a word abide, it's the same word as stay. We, if you go back and if you read the story of, of Jesus and Zacchaeus, we're all familiar with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus calls Zacchaeus. He wants to go to where Zacchaeus abides or stays or lives. Jesus, when he begins to call his disciples, one of the first questions the disciples have for Jesus is, where do you stay? Where do you live? That same word is used here, abide. What Jesus is saying is, my disciples, they're going to abide. They're going to live. 
They're going to stay in my word, in God's word. It becomes very important because this next statement he makes is pretty strong. Before we go there, let's, let's look over real quick at John chapter 15. I want to read, we're going to look at two spots real quick, and then we don't always bounce around too much in Scripture, but, but there's a couple verses, I think, that really hit home this point. John chapter 15, 7 verse 11. It says here, uh, John 15, verse, starting in verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What a beautiful passage about abiding. Abiding in him, but not only just abiding in Jesus, but abiding in his word. It begins to kind of tune our hearts. That, that passage, sometimes we can take out of context there about getting whatever we want if we ask him. See, the, the reality is, is as we tune our hearts to God's word as we spend time in God's word he begins to direct our paths one of my favorite books in all the Bible is uh, James James chapter 1 verse 21 through 25 James was the half brother of Jesus and he makes this statement here he says uh Therefore, put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. So he says, get rid of all the garbage in your life and receive the word, which is able to save your souls. This is important, though. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. See, when Jesus makes this statement about abiding in his word, if you're, if you're truly going to be one of his disciples, if you're going to follow him, we look at, at what James says, it's like looking in a mirror. Most of us, it looks like this morning, we looked in a mirror before we came to church. Right? Why do we look in a mirror? So we brush our hair. I mean, I don't have as much of a problem brushing my hair anymore. Pretty much, Ryan, when Ryan's birthday is today, 24. It's pretty exciting news. Um, when I was 24, I had a full set of hair. At 38, it's not quite so full. Um, but we look in a mirror, right, to figure out what's out of place and look right and get ourselves together and we, we go forward. That's the way God's Word is. Like We go to God's Word and it reveals things to us. The important part is that we need to do what we read. That's why I just 
a checklist where we just open up our books and read a chapter and check a box and say we're done for the day is worthless, has no value. But we meditate on it. We learn from it. That we take what we read and we apply it to our lives. Jesus, when he was talking there in that verse 31 of John chapter 8, he said, listen, if if you're going to be one of my disciples, if you truly are one of my disciples, you're going to abide in my word. You're going to stay in my word. Verse 32, he says, and if you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. Where do we learn truth? Where do we find truth in God's word? We live today in such a, a world, a society of um, no absolutes. Everything's relative. doesn't necessarily match up with what God has to say. This morning, we're going to, as, as this passage intensifies, we're going to see Jesus clearly say, there's right and there's wrong. There's good, there's evil. We find what's true as we abide in God's word. I love in um, Psalms, again, go back to Psalms, and then we'll probably stop dancing for a little while. Psalms chapter um, 119, Psalms 119, and it's a, it's a beautiful psalm. It's a very long one, but if you go to verse uh, 97, and we're gonna, I'm going to read from verse 97 to, to 105. So Psalm 119, starting in verse 97, it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Verse 105, probably a very familiar verse, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Back in these times, it was before we had flashlights and all that they would they would take these lamps and they would literally strap them to their feet and they would begin their journey at night they would walk and as they would do that the light would shine and what Jesus is telling us in his word and when we read in the psalms there is is God's word is the same way it's like a lamp and as we take these steps of faith as we continue our, our walk and our journey, it reveals things. It reveals truth. It gives us guidance, understanding, discernment. Jesus, in, in John chapter 8, tells us that, that it's going to provide us truth, and this truth will set you free. And Jesus is going to go on now and begin to draw this picture of a slave. John chapter 8, 
We'll stay here for most of the morning now. John chapter 8. He says here, after the truth will set you free. This is the response of the Pharisees. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is a humorous statement um, because these Pharisees are so, um, their, their nose are so stuck up that they have lost sense of all reality. Jesus says, listen, this, the truth will set you free. And they're like, well, free, why do we need to be free? We're descendants of Abraham. We've never been captured, um, which is false in and of itself because um, they have forgotten about the bondage of Pharaoh for 400 years. They forgot that their ancestors were baking bricks in the brutal, burning Egyptian sun. Never in bondage? Well, that's pretty amazing because um, there was a 305-year period in the book of Judges. They were in bondage by seven different nations. What about in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians? And, and let me understand, to put this in perspective, the Assyrians were, were such a ruthless group during that time that when other nations found out that the Assyrians were coming, that were headed that way, it was not uncommon for mass suicide because they were that scared of the Assyrians. The Assyrians, according to history, tell us that, that they, would, they took fish hooks in the mouths of the Jews and would transport them, would lead them by that way. They've never been in bondage, though, according to them here. Um, 586 B.C., the Babylonians would destroy the city and the temple. And the amazing thing, as they're saying that we've never been held captive, they're under control of the Romans. And this sense that they give off here, this greater-than-you mentality, that in AD 70, the Romans themselves would go and destroy Jerusalem, would destroy the temple once again. So Jesus responds in verse 34, and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be freed. Jesus is saying this mentality of idea of the slave and, and slavery was very well known and understood during this day. Uh, typically what would happen would, if someone got themselves so far in debt they could not repay the debt that they owed, they would turn themselves into some form of indentured slave that could last for for a year, it could last for a few years. For some, it would last the, the remaining part of their lives. Those slaves, though, only held value as long as they were able to do something. Once those people could no longer act, once those, those individuals in the, in, in, that were trapped in slavery couldn't perform their task, it had no value to them. And Jesus here is painting a picture of, of sin, and sin will entrap you. When you practice sin, you become a slave to it. If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, and that's a chapter that talks about like the hall of faith. In that, in that passage, it talks about Moses 
And we have a great reminder that sin is fun for a season. But what happens when that season's over? I have had the opportunity to talk with people who find themselves in very difficult situations because they've gotten themselves in a mess. They've, they've become trapped by sin. I've experienced it personally. I've, I've, I've not hidden from the fact that during my college days in my 20s that I had struggles with alcohol. That, that sin, what started off with, with one or two fun times, became a trap that would tie and bind me. See, that's the way sin works. It's fun for a little while, and all of a sudden you find yourself at the bottom. You don't remember how you got there. I think all of us can look, if, 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 we're, if we can look within our family and friends and ha we have those instances where we can see how bad sin can take us, and if we truly, going back to the idea of a mirror, if we truly look in a mirror in our own lives, can understand and look back and think of regrets because of sin. See, sin is a trap. The devil doesn't want just a little bit. He wants it all. So Jesus says, listen, you're going to be a slave to something. Either a slave to sin. And it'll be fun for a season. But he's going to chew you up and spit you out. Or you can be a slave to me. And the son remains in the house forever. Forever. There is a home forever. Verse 36 says, uh, So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak out what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is where it gets interesting. This is where Jesus really begins to um, get in the face of these Pharisees. Because over the next couple of passages, he's going to talk about two fathers, the devil and God. And Jesus is going to let us know that, that our father is one or the other. There's no in-between. There's no halfway here. Verse 39 says, And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of a that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. In this passage, there, there's this difference. You see, some of your Bibles may say the seed of Abraham or the offspring of Abraham. And then the children of Abraham. And, and Jesus makes a very distinct difference. He, he acknowledges that they are the offspring of Abraham. That they are descendants. But he says that they're not children. What does he mean? 
Bible tells us and refers, whenever we see them, people referred to as the children of Abraham, they are referring to people who believe and have trusted Jesus Christ and God as their Savior. And so he makes this distinction. He, he acknowledges, yes, you are descendants of, but you are not truly sons of or children's of. Because if you truly were, then you would believe me. You would love me just like Abraham loved me. You would follow the example of your father. This next verse is similar of a, an insult that we saw last week because um, whenever, whenever it gets tricky for the Pharisees, whenever they get somewhat stumped, they revert to something that we do today, name-calling. <laughs> right? they're, they're trying to backpedal. They can't really think of anything, so let's just make an insult. Let's just call names. And so um, he says, uh, they, they said to him in um, verse 41, uh, you're doing the works of your father, did. And then they said to him, uh, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. This is, a, again, an attack at Jesus. We mentioned this last week. This idea that, that people questioned Jesus or Mary and Joseph, his earthly father. We talked about that last week. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. See, I love how Jesus doesn't even give them time. Jesus doesn't even fall to their trap. He doesn't, he doesn't mess with the name calling. He doesn't revert to, to calling them names. He just says, listen, God's my father, and if, if, if you love God, you'd love me. He sent me. I didn't come with my own accord. He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? And he answers his own question. It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus paints a picture of two fathers. The picture of Satan, of the devil, is not a pretty picture. He's a father of lies. He's a murderer. And Jesus ultimately says, listen, if, you're not, if you don't love me, if you don't love God, then you're automatically a son of the devil. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no middle ground. You're either a son of God, a child of his, or you're a child of the devil. This last verse I find interesting. Verse 47 says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You have conversations with people. I wrote it in the email I sent this week. 
my heart breaks for Tallahassee. My heart breaks for this community, this specifically this northeast area of Tallahassee. When you look at like the demographics and the age and the finances of most of this area, and then you see the breakdown of those who are involved in church and those who are not involved in church, and just because you go to church does not mean that you're a Christian, does not mean that you're saved, does not mean that you are trusting Jesus, it just means that you can come to church. But less than 20% of this area, it's about 18%, go to church, and by going to church means they go at least once a month. See, when you look at it, according to the, the standards of today, they don't need God. Financially, they're doing okay. They have an okay amount of savings, card, they, or savings account. They have two cars. They have their home. They, they may even have a home at the beach. They don't need God. Now, they won't be as blatant as to say they're anti-God. They may not mock Jesus. If you ask them if, if, if they believe in Jesus, they'll probably say yes. But this whole passage that we read this morning is this, where Jesus says, listen, if you're truly following me, if you're truly one of my disciples, you're going to abide in my word. There is going to be fruit. You will see a difference. You will act differently. But if you're not, you're not, it's not even understand, you're not even understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. Because you're just following your father, the devil. You're in this trap of sin. And, and folks, the reality is we've all been in that trap of sin. We talk about truth at the very beginning. I talked about truth. I heard a statement the other day that said, um, if we tell enough white lies, sooner or later we become colorblind. Right? I mean, white lies, innocent little white little lies. We say enough of them over a period of time. Blind. I'm not one of those guys that likes to measure which sin is, is bigger than the other. I'm not one of those guys that says, well, you know, this is, this is a lifestyle. This is what I'm, I'm just... Guys, we're all sinners. Every single one of us are. And Jesus paints this picture that we have to choose between two fathers. One that loves us. One that loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. Leave heaven. Come here. Easter, we celebrated a death and resurrection on a cross. See, that's, that's a father that loves because he sacrificed his, his greatest possession, that he sacrificed his only son for us. That's a God that loves. The other father, he's just setting traps. He's just trying to get you to stumble. And he's going to kick you when you're down. He's going to hold you down as long as he can. That's not love. When we lose value to him, he'll spit us out and he'll move to the next person. See, those are the two fathers we get to choose from.
1 John chapter 1. Let me read this passage to you. It says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. We talked about light last week. Jesus said he's the light of the world. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but. I would underline the word but. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned. We make him a liar. And his word is not in us. I was reading a story about Abraham Lincoln the other day. And um, there was this time he was caught by this guy that was just constantly disrupting him. Everything that Abraham Lincoln would say, he, he was rejecting. He was, he, he was questioning and so Abraham Lincoln um, said over to, decided to engage, he says um, to, the, to the stubborn man, he goes, well, let's see here, let me ask you a question. He goes, how many legs does a cow have? And the gentleman replied disgust, disgustingly, four, of course. That's right, agreed Lincoln. Now suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have? Why, five, of course, the confident man replied. And Abraham Lincoln said, now that's where you're wrong. Calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. But we do the same thing in our lives today, don't we? We want to frame everything. We want to make an excuse for everything. I know not all of us in here are parents. Um, I, I have four young children. There are times that I'm scared to death of the world my kids are going to grow up in. It scares me to think about how... Um, we make excuses for everything and we're so fearful to call something right or wrong. There are no moral absolutes. That completely contradicts Scripture. I've said it before and I will certainly say it Lord willing, many times in the future. 
I've heard people say that um, all roads lead to heaven. You've probably heard the same thing. That's an incorrect statement. The Bible tells us all roads lead to Jesus. Every one of us, every per- believer, unbeliever, sinner, saint, every one of us will stand before Jesus Christ one day. Every, all roads do lead to Jesus. But only a saving faith in Him will lead us to heaven. This morning, we have to choose who our Father is. We have to choose if we're going to truly follow Jesus Christ. We have to decide if it's going to be more than just words. I'm not here for religion, folks. I'm all about relationship. It's one of the reasons why I think so often that this picture of a father is painted in Scripture. It's a relationship. Some of us have a distorted view of fathers based on what we grew up in. But the reality is this. I could care less about religion. The Pharisees teach us a lot about religion. And who is Jesus constantly fighting with? The religious people. (laughs) It's relationship. And we have to choose who we're going to have a relationship with. We can't just sit back and and wait. We can't just sit back and and say, well, I'll, I'll decide that later. By doing that, we are choosing a relationship with the devil. But if we're going to truly, truly follow Jesus, that requires life change. That requires us abiding in His Word, spending time in His Word, learning it, studying it, memorizing it, staying here. And as we stay here, like we read in Psalms, as we take those steps in life, He leads us, He directs us, He shows us the path. He shows us right and wrong. He gives us discernment. He gives us joy. He gives us strength. But we have to choose to follow Him. And it's more than just raising a hand in a service. It's more than just saying a few words. It's definitely more than just saying you're a Christian. Abiding in His Word. Abiding, staying. Parking the car there. Growing with Him. And as we do that, as we study His Word, and as we learn it, as God reveals things to us, we have to act on it. Exactly what we read in James chapter 1. We can't just be hearers. We have to be doers. I had a youth pastor that used to tell me all the time when I was, and I was a, I wasn't the smartest kid as a teenager and definitely not now as an adult. 
But he used to use this example of, of a sponge. You know, a sponge can only absorb so much water. You need to wring it out, right? Once you wring out that sponge, then it can absorb more water again. There are some of us that are this, this are, we're sponges, and it's just oozing with water, and we're doing nothing with it. We need, to, we need to wring that sponge out so we can absorb some more. We need to quit reading the Bible as a book, as a textbook, as a history book. We need to read this, breathe this, and all this to change us. And as God reveals things in our hearts, in our lives, by faith, we need to step out and do it. That passage in Hebrews chapter 11, I mentioned verse 25, says that sin's a pleasure for a season, talks about Moses. See, Moses had a choice in life. He could have stayed in Pharaoh's family. He could have enjoyed the wealth that went along with that. But he didn't. He gave all that up and followed him. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that I abide in his word, that I be a true disciple. That I'm, not a sin to, that I'm not a slave to sin anymore. But I'm a slave to a Savior who loves me, who died for me, who conquered death as the right hand of God right now, pleading on my behalf. And that I use this as more than just a book. But I remember that every word was divinely inspired by a loving Savior. You guys ever thought of that? In the busyness of life, we have God's Word. God's Word. Most of us probably have a half dozen copies of it at home. We have God Almighty's Word. We can read. We should allow it to change our lives. I hope and I pray that we do. Let's pray.